Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Um, you know, summertime is a great time to, to do fun stuff, to relax and to chill out. So three years ago this summer, over the course of the summer, my wife and I decided that we were going to use our summer to become licensed foster parents. That is a great way to sit in the air conditioning all summer because you spend your summer taking classes. Well, um, we decided for whatever reason, um, we felt like God had something more for our family and he wanted to to use us in that way. And we just, you know, wanted to have another kiddo. Uh, And so we spent the summer, three summers ago, 2015, becoming foster parents. October 2015, that process was complete. We'd done all our FBI background checks and everything was clear, thankfully. Um, and in about a few weeks after we were licensed as foster parents, kind of mid-November, uh, we got a phone call in the middle of the night that there was a nine-month-old boy that needed a home, needed a place that was safer than where he was. Um, his parents couldn't take care of him anymore. And so um, there was a little catch, though. Jaden, uh, that was his name, nine-month-old son, um, was a twin. And Jaden's twin brother was born with a heart condition, which meant that he'd lived his entire life in the hospital. Um, things weren't going really well, and so they didn't expect him to live. And so they just told us that, that, hey, you're not going to get to meet him. You're not going to get to see him. He's probably not going to live. But, uh, you know, if you're okay with that detail, then we'd like to bring Jaden. So we waited through three, four hours that night, spent the whole night awake, and uh, eventually middle of the night, they brought Jaden into our home, and he became our foster son. Let me show you a picture of Jaden. This was one of the early pictures with his crazy hair and a big smile. Well, a couple of weeks after he came to live with us, we got a phone call that we didn't expect, and that phone call was that Braden was doing better. His twin brother, Braden, was doing well enough that they actually said, you know, you can come visit him at the hospital. You can come bring Jaden, and they can spend some time together. And so um, we obviously took him up on that opportunity, loved the chance to do that. And so we went in early December of 2015 and met Braden. Now, Braden, as you can tell by that smile, he was a joy to be around. As a matter of fact, he was kind of like the, um, the hallway, like the wing mascot. Like everybody knew Braden. And if they were having a bad day, they'd go in and they'd get a little Braden hug and a little Braden smile because he was just a joy to be around. And so, of course, we fell in love with him. And uh, they told us that he was doing well enough that he might be able to go home. He might be able to, you know, uh, move out of the hospital. And so they started training us to take care of his significant needs. And um, so we started to learn all of those different things. We spent as much time as we could with him um, up at the hospital that December. Matter of fact, this is a picture for Christmas Day. We were in his hospital room, and he's hooked up to all of his lines and stuff. And there's Jaden sitting on my lap and our other girls, Haley and Rebecca, and we spent as much time as we could there. Let me just tell you, if you ever got to be in the hospital on Christmas, um, get a transfer to Cook Children's Hospital because they do it right on Christmas Day. Santa comes for a visit and everybody gets presents. It was pretty awesome. But uh, we love being able to spend time with them up there. Um, wh- you know, when we couldn't, the days that we couldn't be at the hospital, I would call up that morning and I would say, hey, how's Braden doing? And they would tell me how he was doing. And most of the phone calls were doing great. Uh, One of those days when we called up to the hospital, they said, you know, he doesn't seem quite himself. He's not smiling. We're going to run some tests. So they ran some tests, and a few days later, they called us in for a conference with all the doctors that were part of his care. 
they told us that he wasn't doing as well as he had and things were starting to kind of fall apart. And so the decision was made to, to turn from training to bring him home to just taking care of him and bringing him comfort while we could. Um, I'm a Denver Broncos fan, and that was the year the Broncos won the Super Bowl, and I spent every uh, playoff game that year at the hospital holding Braden in my arms, watching on a little bitty TV about this big, and just enjoying every minute of it, um, and those are special moments for me because uh, on January 29th, 2016, four days before his first birthday, Braden passed away. His body just couldn't do it anymore, um, and it was really hard. Um, I remember days that I couldn't breathe, and um, I was sitting at a Starbucks one time just kind of trying to get some work done or process things, and a, a friend from church here walked in, and she had just lost a loved one, and I remember saying to her, is this normal? Like, I literally cannot breathe, and she said, yeah, it's normal, and so she encouraged me in that way, but it was very, very difficult for our family. Um, our children really suffered, and we knew when, you know, we said yes to going to the hospital, when we said yes to taking in a child who had a very sick brother, that that was a possibility that our children could go, grow to love a child that could pass away. Well, they struggled with it. Um, and so we kind of had to circle the wagons a little bit in our home, um, did some things schooling-wise, brought one of our kiddos home from school, um, eventually counseling, all those different things, just so that our family could kind of survive through the grief and the struggle of that. And it was, it was very difficult. Um, one of the bright spots in that time was some friends that we already had a deeper relationship with, but that was deepened, and uh, that was Roy and Maxie Mullins. Um, they became like grandparents to our children. There's a picture of them with Jaden. Um, uh, our kids call them uh, Ninny and Papa, just like their grandkids do, and we've spent significant time with them since then, but um, they, that was a bright spot. Our relationship with them really deepened. They were able to be there with us. We couldn't, um, we couldn't have people up to the hospital because of the restrictions with foster care, but we did get permission for them to come up because of our relationship, and they were there on January 29th when Braden passed away. And then Roy and I actually stayed, and I remember him sitting next to me. We were the only two in the room as they, you know, prepared to come take away Braden's lifeless body, and he just was there with me, and we just talked or didn't talk, and uh, it was such an encouragement to have him there with me to just know that he loved me, that he loved my son, that he loved my family, and most importantly, that he loved Jesus, and he could just kind of be Jesus' presence there with me that day. Um, so, of course, that strengthened our friendship even more. Well, one day, um, right around that time, we went to coffee, and we were talking, and he said, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Uh, he said, I need to talk to you about the F word. And I was like, whoa, wait a second, what are we doing? That's what he said. And uh, he said, I need to talk to you about my funeral because Roy had been diagnosed a couple years earlier with uh, kidney cancer that had continued to progress. And I knew that he was sick um, and we'd spent a lot of time talking about that, but he, something changed in him as well. And he knew he didn't have much more time. So he wanted to start planning his funeral. So um, he wanted to use the time that he did have for a purpose. He wanted to use that pain that he was experiencing for a purpose. And a couple things he wanted to make sure he communicated wanted to make sure he communicated his love for the people in Honduras and for the ministry at Yamato Eterno and how important that was to him. He'd been down a number of times and was a huge part of that Empowering Education International program that was launched. Um, he wanted to communicate his love for the gyms ministry here at Hillside where he served children with special needs and for those children and those families. 
Most of all, he wanted to communicate that uh, when you're changed by God's love, that that should change you. That Jesus' love literally changed Roy's life and that he now can show love to others by serving others. And he wanted to make sure that that was communicated to those that were left behind him. Um, So one of the things that he did in order to communicate that was we decided to shoot a video so he could tell his story at his funeral. And that video became a personal gift to me because on my 45th birthday, January 19th of this year, we sat down in his home and we shot about 30 plus minutes worth of footage to kind of show some of his story and, um, you know, for him to be able to communicate the love of Jesus to those who would sit in these seats the day of his funeral. Um, Well, right around that same time there, um, I, I was walking here through the church and Roy was sitting in one of those chairs out there and I love sitting in one of those the the chair that he always sat in those last few um, weeks and months I love love sitting in that sometimes I'll come up during the week and just sit in that chair because it reminds me of Roy Um, but he was sitting in that chair and I was walking through like I always do and he said young man he always called me young man he said young man are you walking with a limp and I was like oh I said, nobody had never no, ever noticed that before, and I was walking with a limp. I'd stopped running last fall sometime because my hip was hurting me to the point that I really couldn't do it anymore, and I'd had a long history of running and, and athletics and loved it, but I just couldn't do it anymore, but nobody had really noticed it, and so he told me, you need to take care of that. You need to do something about it, so I promised him I would, and a few weeks later, I went to the doctor, and when I went in, I had my x-ray, and the doctor came in, and really what he said was, you're not going to like what I have to tell you. And essentially what he told me was I was born with a hip issue that, that built up over time that became degenerative and there wasn't much that could be done for it. So, of course, I went to a couple other doctors and had the same diagnosis confirmed. And basically I was told, you're going to have to deal with this pain and gradually lose your ability to walk or you're going to have to have surgery. Um, well, I didn't have a whole lot of time to think about what I was going to do because pretty quick my attention had to turn somewhere else. So my first doctor's appointment was February 23rd of this year. Roy passed away on March 18th, so less than a month later. His funeral was March 22nd. And, of course, we had to kick in all that planning we'd been doing. And we'd sat down with his family and talked about all that. We'd shot that video. I couldn't bring myself to edit the video, though, until he'd actually passed away. And so then that week was very busy with editing a video, making sure that everything he wanted communicated was communicated, and getting all the details together, and taking care of his family, and loving on people that I loved, and, you know, back and forth. It was just a difficult week. But the service was extremely God-honoring, because Roy's purpose that he wanted actually happened. He got to tell people about a guy who had been a mess up, a guy who had been a sinner, a guy who really had been um, not a very good guy and God changed his life through the love of Christ. So he got to tell that story and about how he's now able to love others and serve others from that love that he had been given. And it was just an incredible service. But even in the midst of that, it really hurt. It really did because I had to watch his wife they would have celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary this year. And some of us got to write them notes beforehand because they knew they weren't going to make it that far. So we wrote some notes to them. And, you know, it was hard to watch her go through that. And I know she hurt and still hurts. Um, Reagan, uh, his daughter, also attends our church, and they have three other children and numerous grandchildren. And to watch them all go through that pain was really difficult. Um, it hurt them, and it hurt our church, too, because Roe was such a generous, kind, servant-hearted man. Um, you know, difficult stuff. Well, somehow the stress of that week um, 
or something was happening and, and the pain in my hip intensified. I stood up on the stage and I believe that was the last time I actually stood up here, stood on the stage and the hip pain was overwhelming. I barely made it through the service, just kind of like, okay, I got to get through this. And by that night, I don't know what happened, but by that night I knew I couldn't, I couldn't go on anymore without having that surgery. Well, that's three stories of pain in my life that were interwoven and I believe God had a purpose for but I was still trying to process all of that pain and figure out what to do. And so I turned to scripture during that time. Um, and I want to talk about the story of Jacob, who um, it can be found in these chapters specifically in the book of Genesis. But uh, there's about 25 chapters really about Jacob and his family. So we're not going to read all of it today. But if you want to turn to those passages and look at those as we go through it. Um, and we can look at moments in Jacob's life that were painful for him and lessons we can learn from that. Um, In Genesis chapter 25, well, let me tell you this. Jacob was actually a twin as well. So Jacob's born the second of two brothers. Esau was his older brother. They are the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac is the son of Abraham. So this is early on in the nation of Israel's history. The patriarchs, as they call them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you often hear them called. So he's the second. He missed out on the inheritance literally by seconds. Um, we know that it was not a very long time between the birth because, one, he's a twin, and two, he was actually grabbing Esau's ankle, holding his ankle. His name comes from that. They, they called him the grabber because he was grabbing his brother's ankle as he was born. Um, and this family had been promised that they would be the leaders of a great nation, that God's people would come from Abraham and Isaac. So they had this promise. So Jacob felt from an early age that he had missed out on the inheritance of his family by mere seconds, because in their culture, the oldest got everything, basically. And so he felt that he had missed out on that inheritance, a financial fortune, because he was born seconds later than his brother. And then he he also felt that he had missed out on the possibility of leading God's nation, God's people. This promise was something that they would have talked about as a family and looked forward to. And so he felt the pain of that missing out from an early age. He also felt... Um, a pain of being unloved. Not only was life unfair, but his dad loved Esau more than he loved him. Isaac was an outdoorsman, and Esau was an outdoorsman. But Jacob was, he was a homebody. He liked to stay at home, and he liked to just kind of chill out at home. And, and so dad didn't like him so much. Dad didn't show love to him so much. And so, as you can imagine, I'm sure his heart was hurt by the unlove that he felt from his father, by missing out on his father's love. So he had missed out on he had had an unfair birth order and missed out on an inheritance and he had had an unloving father and missed out on the opportunity to be to feel that love so Jacob experienced pain now the problem with Jacob wasn't that he experienced pain we all experience pain that's just part of the normal part of human life the problem is how Jacob handled it um we're looking at two guys, Jacob and Esau, in this passage. And over the course of the summer at Kids Camp and then at Honduras, we looked at stories of pairs in the scripture and how that played out. So we looked at uh, Moses and Aaron, um, Moses, Aaron's younger brother, Aaron, the older brother. And yet Moses is the one we talk about because he was the leader, right? Aaron kind of had to come underneath him. Um, we, talk, we looked at David and Jonathan. So Jonathan was the king's son, the heir apparent to the throne. David becomes... Uh, Uh, anointed to be the new king, and Jonathan had to come underneath David and serve David. 
Um, we look at Esther and Mordecai. Esther's a teenager. Mordecai is her cousin, although older, and had turned his life upside down and adopted her and taken care of her. And then she becomes the queen in this foreign country where they are. And Mordecai's left out. He's outside of the castle. Not only that, but he saves the king's life. And yet Esther is the one that gets the recognition, and Mordecai has to come underneath her. And then one other one, um, the story of Jesus and John the Baptist in the New Testament You know, John the Baptist had a thriving ministry and was baptizing people left and right and had his own set of disciples. And yet when Jesus came on the scene, he had to take second fiddle. And he recognized that and said, you know, Jesus, he should increase so that I might decrease. So that's the goal is John had to decrease so that Jesus can become what he was supposed to be. So he came under Jesus and eventually even died um, as his ministry was fading away. Um, so, so pairs of people where the, the one that kind of came underneath said, I know I feel like I'm a little slighted, but I'm going to serve that person. That's God's purpose. That's God's plan. I'm going to serve. Well, Jacob had that opportunity as well. He could have said, God's plan for our family is that this great nation will be led by the children of this family, by the boys that are born. There's only two. One of them clearly has the birth order. Um, I'm going to serve him and do my part. He could have done that. And yet he didn't. The way he handled pain was he lived up to his name, the grabber, and he grabbed. He tried to take control of the situation. So chapter 25, you see that he stole his brother's birthright. Now Esau, not very bright, he gave up his birthright for a bowl of soup because he was hungry. Not the smartest thing ever, and yet Jacob grabbed that. He took control. He felt slighted, and he said, I'm going to take control. I'm going to get that blessing, even though I didn't originally have it. Genesis chapter 27, um, he stole, he couldn't have his father's love, so he stole his father's blessing that was owed to Esau. So he chose to take that blessing um, by taking advantage of the fact that Isaac was now blind and couldn't really see. And so he kind of tricked him. He and his mom tricked him. And so he did that in order to get his father's blessing. So he grabbed, he took control. He felt like he needed something and he was going to make sure that that happened. And so he was going to take control in his life and he lived up to being the grabber. But then more than that, um, when things kind of got out of control, because as always happens, when you try and control them, you can't do that forever. And when things got out of control and Esau realized he'd been tricked twice, he, Jacob said he needed to run. So he ran away from the situation. And he had been wanting his father's love. He had been wanting his father's blessing. And now he has to run from it and lose all of that. He runs 500 miles away to a place called Haran where his uncle Laban lived. So he goes to live with his uncle Laban. And Laban became more than his uncle. He became his father-in-law because Jacob married two of Laban's daughters. And then he became more than his father-in-law. He became his employer because for 20 years, Jacob worked for Laban. And his hard work and his ingenuity um, and his you know, effort went towards making his uncle Laban a very rich man for 20 years. And part of what made Laban so rich over that time frame was Laban kept changing his pay structure. He kept mixing things up. When Jacob would start doing a little bit better and and more money, more sheep were going towards Jacob, Laban would change that pay structure. And Jacob felt like he was being treated unfairly. And so he tricked him even more. He started to do more trickery. He started to steal sheep 
ultimately that was wealth. It was their version of money. And he started to steal from his employer, who was also his uncle, also his father-in-law. He had gotten to the point where he felt so much like he had to control things that he was willing to steal even from family. Well, his response was what it had always been. When he grabbed to try and control, he would, you know, he would try and control things there. And when it got bad and he couldn't control it anymore, he ran. So now he runs again 20 years afterwards. And he had developed this unhealthy pattern of how to deal with painful moments in his life. He had developed a grabbing and a running pattern. Well, this time, um, it was about to get worse. As he runs back to his homeland, he hears that Esau, his brother, who had wanted to kill him 20 years earlier, is headed his way. And so while Jacob had grabbed for these blessings, he wanted a family. He wanted to be loved. He wanted a fortune. And now he had it. He wasn't really satisfied with what he had because he had gotten it the wrong way. But not only that is he had become the kind of person where he had turned so selfish, he had turned so much into a grabber, he had turned so much into a runner, that now he's faced with this possible um, conflict with his brother. And what does he do? He takes all of the blessings that he had grabbed for and he sets them all in front of him. He sets his family, his wives, his children, all of the livestock, essentially everything that, that he had been blessed with out in front of him, puts them in harm's way to protect himself. He had come so selfish that he was willing to put everything that he loved and every blessing that he had received in harm's way to protect himself. That's the kind of person that those attitudes will turn you into. But you see, God wasn't willing to let him stay that way. God wasn't willing to let him stay as a grabber and as a runner because God had promised that this family was going to, you know, great things were going to happen. Esau had already disqualified himself, not just because um, he gave away his birthright, but because there were some other sins in Esau's life that really kept him from being able to be that leader. So God wanted to turn Jacob into a leader that could lead his family, lead his nation. And so God decided he had to have an encounter with Jacob. He would meet him where he was. And so the night before Esau and Jacob were going to meet, Jacob's taking a nap, not a nap. He was going down to go to sleep by this river called the Jabbok River. And he has this encounter with God. And so you can read about that in Genesis 32. I'm going to read from a paraphrased or kind of a a, a story version of that. I want you to to listen to this. Suddenly, some unforeseen force hit him in the back. Jacob sprang up and wheeled around to meet his attacker. He assumed it was one of Esau's men come to seek vengeance. But the night was too, too dark for him to see the mysterious other's face. Besides, he had no time to worry about the stranger's identity because he was in a fight for his life. For hours, the two wrestled. By dawn, each was exhausted, barely able to do more than cling stubbornly to the other. Then the attacker fell back on one final trick. Pulling an arm free, he struck Jacob's hip, and he dislocated it. But Jacob the grabber, Jacob the clinger, still hung on to his assailant like a bulldog. Let me go, the astonished stranger street. Forget it, roared Jacob. I'm sticking with you like glue until I get a blessing. He's still grabbing for those blessings. He's still being selfish. And quite unexpectedly, he got his blessing. The stranger, who some identify as God and others as an angel, but ultimately we know he was a representative of God, there and then miraculously transformed God, transformed Jacob, the grabber, into Israel, the man, through whom God shows his strength. But the blessing carried a price. 
Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his days. Genesis 32, 28 kind of sums up that whole section. It says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you had overcome. God knew that Jacob needed to change if he was going to lead his people. God knew that that pattern that he had of grabbing, controlling, and running whenever things got hard wasn't going to work. God needed to break him of those things. And in order to do that, Jacob had to face his pain. And so we see a real and yet in some ways symbolic picture of what happened. In order to fight that, uh, in order to wrestle with God, he had to face God. He had to face up to his struggles. He had to face up to his pain. In order to get through and work through the pain in the situation, he had to physically wrestle with God. He had to physically go through that process. He couldn't just give up and say, all right, you got me, I'm pinned. He wouldn't have learned the lesson that God wanted. And so they wrestled that entire night. The same is true for us. If we want God to turn us into the person that he wants to be, wants us to be for his purposes, we have to be willing to face whatever pain we are dealing with or whatever pain we have from our past. And we have to be willing to wrestle with it. Whether it's for a night or for a fortnight, or for longer, we have to be willing to face up to those things, even if it takes years for us to just stay in it and wrestle through and say, God, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to teach me through this pain? What's your purpose for this suffering that I'm going through? We have to be willing to wrestle through that and face that pain. But remember that God is in the wrestling match with us. We're not doing that on our own. We're not doing that by ourselves, we're doing that with God, even if that means it feels like we're wrestling against him. He's wrestling with us so that we can process that pain. And God taught him in the middle of that wrestling match what it meant like to find true blessings. He wanted blessing and so he grabbed for them and all of those things were for naught. All of those things, he lost his family and he was willing to lose his family and his fortune to protect himself. But God finally taught him, that's not what it means to be the kind of person that I want you to be. Um, And so God not only gave him that experience where he came out on the other side a different person, but God gave him a reminder. And that reminder wasn't that his pain was all gone. Jacob still had that pain of his past and he still had to live with some of those things into the future. God actually gave him a different pain. He gave him an additional pain. And that pain was that he walked with a limp the rest of his life because of physical pain in his hip. But you know, if you've ever gone through any physical pain, that that can be a great reminder of what you were experiencing during when that pain started. And you know that Jacob never forgot the lesson that God taught him that night that he never forgot as he was walking with a limp. And greater than that, God didn't want Jacob to forget that lesson, but he didn't want their people, the the nation of Israel, to forget that lesson. And so um, throughout the nation's history, um, when they would eat an animal, when they would slaughter an animal and eat it, they wouldn't eat the, the meat from around that hip joint. And the reason they did that is because, unlike today, where we go to the grocery store and our meat is wrapped up in a piece of plastic and it looks like, you know, it's all perfect, they would actually have to slaughter their animals and children would experience that. So God wanted to pass that story on to all of the next generation. And so as they were slaughtering an animal for the family feast, um, they would point out to their children, we don't eat that joint. And then the children would ask the question, why not? 
And the, the answer was, well, let me tell you about Jacob. And let me tell you the lessons that God taught Jacob during that time. And so Jacob never forgot that lesson because he walked with a limp. And Israel never forgot that lesson because of that reminder that they gave him, that God gave them related to the hip. Well, I told you about those um, three painful moments in my life, and um, I've learned some lessons through those things. You know, we, um, I think I have another slide here. There we go. Jaden, of course, stayed with us um, after Braden passed away. He stayed in our home with us. Um, but it wasn't an easy process. That was about three months into our fostering process, and they tell us 12 to 18 months is a pretty typical um, fostering process. That's about how long it should take. Um, and at a couple of points, because of some legal um, issues, we were told that it was possible that Jaden might not be able to stay with us. We were told that it's very likely that he would have to go back, which ultimately, if he was in a good home, that would be the goal anyway. But we knew the situation, and it would have been difficult. Um, and so God um, worked on our hearts through that time because we'd already lost Braden and we'd watched our children suffer through so much of a struggle. So we had the opportunity to say, you know what, um, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. We're, we're, we're giving up, you know, we're, we're not going to continue this journey, this fostering journey. Well, God taught us through that process um, that, one, we needed to stay in it. We needed to face that pain, and we needed to go through that wrestling match with God, and so we did. And that wrestling match was hard at times, um, but what could have been 12 months turned into 26 months, and on February 2nd of this year, we went to the courthouse, and Jaden became a permanent part of our family. And while that's an awesome and wonderful thing and glory to God for making that happen, um, the process that we went through in learning to trust God and continually learning to trust God, that no matter what, God calls us to be all in with our children and God calls us to face our pain and God calls us to wrestle through those things. That is uh, such a valuable lesson that we learned through that process. One of the greatest blessings of that day is the fact that Roy and Maxie Mullins, along with a lot of other wonderful people in our lives, were able to be there, but particularly the fact that Roy could be there um, that day. Um, Roy and I had talked about this a lot. Um, we had kind of processed through, you know, those days when I was driving home from Weatherford, doing a home visit, uh, doing a family visit for Jaden, and I'm like, this is crazy, Roy, how this is. And we talked a long, long time uh, on the phone many times. And so he prayed with me and talked me through a lot of that. And so for him to be there that day was very, very special. Um, this is one of the things he wanted to do. He said he wanted to see this come to fruition. And there were some other important things in his life, family-related and such. And then, of course, I told you how important it was that they were able to shoot that video, and that was able to tell his story. But one thing that Roy didn't expect when he told his story on that video was kind of what happened afterwards. He wanted to show that to his family and friends who sat in this room during the service. But um, March 22nd, when the service happened, was nine or ten days. I can't remember. My math isn't perfect. But right before the weekend of Easter. So Easter was the weekend after the funeral service. And when Pete, 
saw that video, he said, we need to show that in Easter. And so that video became more than just, let's show my friends and family my story. It became, let's tell people who are far from God what it means to have your life changed and turned around by the love of Christ. And so Roy's story went to 2,000 people that weekend. It has since gone into the hands of multiple other pastors. And last weekend when we were in Honduras, when I talked a little bit about this, they said, we need that video leave that video here with us because we're going to translate it and we're going to tell his story here in Honduras as well. And so um, God used that story for his purposes far more than Roy ever thought could happen. And God used Roy's death to tell the story of life to so many more people than anybody expected. And so glory to God for that as well. That was an awesome part of that. And then, of course, there's my hip. Well, that's the part of the story that made me want to look in the life of Jacob in the first place, right? I'm like, okay, God, what are you doing here? What are you trying to teach me? Well, um, May 16th, which is nine weeks ago Wednesday, I believe, if my math is correct, um, the day before May 16th, this is what my hip looked like. Um, and on May 16th, um, that's what my hip looked like. I had what they call an LTHR, left total hip replacement. And so I got a brand new hip on May 16th. And... Um, there are lessons, lessons being learned in that as well. Now, that is a work in progress. And uh, those of you who know me will have to bear with me on some of these things. But our children's ministry staff, I talked to some of them um, this week and just said, okay, here's what I feel like God's teaching me. Here's what I'm learning from this. And can you confirm if this is happening? Because here's the reality. Like Jacob, the grabber, the controller, I have a tendency to be a bit of a control freak. Okay, a lot of a control freak. And so um, those who work with me and know me um, know that that is difficult at times. And, um, and I believe that God stopped me in my tracks and slowed me down so that I would take the time to listen to him and I would learn this lesson that you can't continue to live life that way. You can't continue to try and control all the circumstances in your home, in your workplace, all these different places. You've got to learn to let go of these things. You've got to learn to let other people be involved and trust other people to do things. And I hate to admit that I wasn't there. And uh, I am growing in that. I am learning to let go, go. And I'm learning to let God change me in that way. The other thing, like Jacob, I was a runner. Um, now, not in the same way as he ran. I was a physical runner. I actually liked to run and, and exercise that way. But if any of you have ever been in a Fitbit competition with me in my running days, you know I probably took it a little too seriously. It was a little intense at times. And I think my focus had moved to the wrong things with my health, with my running. And now I believe God wants me to get back to a place where I'm healthy again, but I have a new reason. I have a new why. And that's because I have a three-year-old son that needs me to keep up with him. And he's just starting his moving and shaking days. And that's because I have a family that needs me, two daughters. And it's because this ministry, this church that God has put me in charge of, um, is a children's ministry that requires a lot of energy. And I believe God's timing was perfect in all this because physically I got to experience the pain of walking around a campus that's spread out long enough to know how difficult that can be. When I walked from portable to portable and then eventually literally couldn't walk from portable to portable, and many of you saw me on that knee scooter for a while. Um, and I got to experience that, and God said, you got to understand what this pain feels like. But now on the other end of this, I'm going to turn you into a different kind of leader because once we build this new wing, which I guess will be down here, um, once we build this new children's wing, there's a good possibility that our children's ministry will grow. And there's a good possibility when that road comes through that our church will grow. 
And so God, I believe, is preparing me to be a different kind of leader than I have been for that purpose. So again, part of that is difficult to admit. I hate to say that I haven't done that well, but I guess that's my perfectionist controlling tendency that I don't want to admit my failures. Um, But I do know that God is changing me and is turning me into a different kind of person because he has a purpose for me and he has a purpose for you as well. God wants you to learn from your pain, whatever it is you've gone through. I don't know what it is, but he wants you to learn to face your pain and to wrestle through it. And then when you come out on the other side of that, you can have a blessing, a real blessing, a true blessing that comes from God. Um, now, let me say one, one caveat in this. Um, some of you may be in an abusive relationship, whether that's in a home setting uh, or family relationship, a friendship relationship, or in the workplace. You may be in an abusive setting. And when I say don't run, when I say face your, your pain, I'm not talking about that. The, the best way actually to face pain in an abusive situation like that is to get out, okay? So if you're in an abusive situation, you need to get out. If you're in an unhealthy situation, you need to get out. That's what you need to do to stand up and face it. But um, in other types of pain, not an abusive relationship, um, you need to stand. And maybe you can relate to one of the types of pain we talked about this morning. Maybe you can relate to an unfair life circumstance like Jacob's birth order. Maybe you can relate to feeling unloved by a parent or by having a bad boss or a bad work environment. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to unfair pay or or you feel like you earned some reward um, in the workplace and you haven't gotten that. You haven't been recognized. Maybe you can relate to the death of a loved one or you can relate to a diagnosis or you can relate to a physical pain. And you're wanting to know what God is teaching you in the middle of that. And so, you know, Paul experienced pain as well. And he wrote in uh, Romans, he wrote that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And Jesus experienced pain. And in one of the many times that he said something like this in Luke 17, he says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. That's what was going on with Jacob, is Jacob was trying to keep his life and in in doing so lost it. And only when he let God, when he wrestled through that pain with God, did he actually find a true blessing. And that true blessing comes in the form of what Paul said, we gain perseverance, we gain character, and ultimately we gain hope. So that movie clip we we saw at the beginning um, asked that question, how can strength be my weakness? Well, strength can be your weakness when you are grabbing instead of letting God give you blessings, when you try to control the situation. Strength can be your weakness when you run away when things get tough. And only when you stop running from the pain in your life can you find a true blessing. When you let God turn your weakest moments, your painful moments, into a time that he can be your strength and he can be your hope. So whatever pain you're feeling, stand firm and face it. Whatever pain you're feeling, wrestle through it. Go through that process with God and ask him what it is that he wants you to learn from that. And then you'll find a true blessing. Like Roy, you can use your days to bring glory to God and to tell others about his love. Like Paul, you can find hope in your suffering. Like Kevin Hart and Jumanji, you can find that weakness is your strength because God ultimately 
is the one that brings strength. And like Jacob, you can let your pain turn you into the person that he wants you to be so that you can accomplish God's purposes for his people. Let's pray. God, um, this is a tough thing to say, but thank you for the pain that you have brought into our lives. Thank you for the suffering that you have brought into our lives because we believe that they have a goal, they have a purpose. And if we face them, if we wrestle through them instead of running away and instead of trying to control those things, Lord, we can learn a lesson. Whatever it is you're trying to teach us and we can have hope and we can have a true blessing that comes only from you. Thank you for the pain. And thank you most importantly, Jesus, that you were willing to experience pain for us so that we can have new life. I pray that those who are struggling, those who are hurting will turn to you and they will know that you understand their pain and that they will give their lives over to you so that they can find a true blessing. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.